the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. It's Monday, March 2nd. And, uh, and we are mad about what we saw over the weekend. The madness was great. Uh, combine in Indianapolis. We always enjoy checking in on the NFL Combine. Uh, I will let, you know, we'll, we'll share over the next little bit the aspects that we like to pick apart. Uh, we've got some, some players that we stood out that made headlines that burn it down in the house. And, uh, and of course some storylines, maybe we want to hand out some golden dumbbells to the strength coaches that were getting it done this year as we saw their, uh, their, their products or their prospects out there, um, doing well in the underwear Olympics. Gentlemen, I know you two are both passionate viewers of the combine. Uh, as we sit here on Monday, do you feel like it was a, it was a good year? Well, I, I was a little bit, this wasn't, this wasn't my favorite combine year because the whole – see, I'm my combine experience is to sit in the office and, and like, watch the combine in the office and work and look up and see a 40 and look down and work and, you know, you kind of get to see it all. Uh, I've been given a lot of free pub to YouTube TV over the last 12 months or so, eight months or so, and it's time to, time to give – YouTube TV, a little reality check. They don't have NFL Network. Oh. So the prime time mix with my YouTube TV allegiance means I saw almost none of the combine. I just saw, I just saw, I was just watching it on Twitter. I, I will try my best not to go onto an hour long rant about this, but I hated it at night. Mm. It sucked. It ruined it. It yeah. absolutely ruined it. And I mean, for you, Bart, like you said, you couldn't even watch it. That's what it did to you. But it was just like, I don't like being forced with the decision to watch, like, you know, like the line I played on Thursday night, basketball, an important game. Big game, real big game. Against Northwestern, rivalry game. I do not like having to face the decision of watching an actual sporting event. Or the combine, which I do enjoy quite a bit. Not just from, you know, I not because I have to do mock drafts, not because any of that. I just enjoy football to the level where the combine to me is interesting because I like to judge these players in this kind of situation. I've seen most of them. I know most of them from watching them. But to see them in this kind of situation and get a better test of them as individuals, not just on the field, their abilities – I enjoy the hell out of it because I learned things watching it. I think but it oh, go can't ahead. really, oh, but it can't really compete with like an actual sporting event. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, also, also, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll stop in a minute. I'm really trying. <laughs> Agents are pissed off too. 
because the agents are saying, I don't know if you, Bart, you didn't watch Chip. I don't know how close of attention you paid, but a lot of guys were like pulling hamstrings and stuff like that. And the agents are pissed because they're saying that this was a result of their players having to stand around so often because the NFL Network and them were trying to, you know, lengthen it out for prime time. Mm. So there was a whole lot more standing around doing nothing than there usually is. And now these guys are pulling hamstrings or suffering little minor injuries just for prime time television purposes to make the event last a little longer. So it's. I think it was a disaster. We'll see what the ratings say when they come out. I don't know. Maybe they have. But I, I really hope that they go back to like the weekday date afternoon times next year. So we've uh, we've tried to catch as much of the combine uh, as possible. The Some of the big storylines that stood out, probably the we can sort of pass this around or, or nominate it as such. But do we do we start with Makai Becton? You could. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Makai Becton. Six foot seven, 364 pounds. And on that six foot seven, 364 pounds, we're testing out at 17% body fat. Man <laughs> ran a 5.1 40 yard dash. 5.1 40 yard dash, six foot seven, 364 pounds, 17% body fat. Becton's always, because of his frame, been pointed to as a potential for the NFL. There have been times particularly early on in his career because he was thrust into into playing time really early where you weren't you, you weren't quite sure like he'd get the all ACC honors and when you'd watch him you'd feel like there'd be a couple plays a game where, where you noticed him but honestly I I didn't say that I had him grading uh, up near the top for all of his performance and then you know he's he's a big part of that Louisville offense when Scott Satterfield steps in and you know they're all about the misdirection they're all about keeping things uh, going left to right seem seems to play well, but when he's able to make headlines like this with his athleticism, uh, I kind of feel like Mackay Becton earned himself some money. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, he only tested at the forty in the bench, so I guess there's maybe there's some other things we got to validate from the combine side of it. But like, he could be the first offensive lineman off the board really like think of it as it's I always envisioned him as being um or I, just, I guess I always assumed he was sort of an Orlando Brown cop um but he weighed 20 pounds more about the same height uh, about the same arm length I think uh what was his arm length his arm length was yeah about the same half inch on Orlando Brown arm length um but Orlando Brown ran a 585 40 uh i mean orlando brown was was i mean which is kind of what i just assumed mcbecton would run something like that too but i just think when you're not questioning his athleticism and and i mean orlando brown was just this big bodied guy that sort of understood angles understood uh and, and could sort of overwhelm people and becton has all that but he actually has some pop and some athleticism that orlando brown doesn't and didn't I mean, he could, he could be number one off the board at offensive tackle. Yeah, I've actually, I think I can't remember. I just finished working on my mock draft. I haven't written it up, but I was going through the order before we stepped on. Comes out on Tuesday, kids. Make sure you read it. I'm pretty sure I had Becton as my first OT off the board because I do think that he did really well for himself with this. And I do think, too, there's just, there's a lot of really good tackles in this draft. I also yeah I also wanted to make note while we were talking about the the big boys on the offensive line uh, was it see Tristan Wirfs from Iowa combine record vertical was a jump freak. 
So yeah, yeah. six four, three hundred twenty pounds sets new combine records with a thirty six and a half inch vertical jump, and his broad jump is ten feet. His, his combine was unbelievable. Six his four, three twenty, and his big old body's moving ten feet on that broad jump. It's uh, <laughs> it's yeah. I I don't. Do you guys ever use mock draftable? I I know the system. I don't necessarily use it myself, but. Uh, yeah, no. Tr- Tristan's little like graph is is very large circle, which is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, his broad jump for offensive linemen in the history of what they have done, you know, for the like the the combine. His broad jumps ninety ninth percentile. Clearly, his vertical jumps ninety ninth percentile. His forty yard dash is ninety eighth percentile. His you know he's got good size. His bench press was like his weakest thing. He was forty fifth percentile. And he still did twenty four reps. So it's not like you know he's a He's weak, but his three cone drill was seventy first. His twenty yard shuttle was sixtieth. Dude's just a freak, man. Uh, yeah, he had his his vert is he has a higher vert than DeAndre Hopkins, Jerry Judy, CD yes. Lamb, AJ yes. Green, Amari Cooper, and others. <laughs> and he and he rips like uh, Iowa. I guess it was probably this time off this this year time last year. I was football twitter account sent out a tweet of him hang cleaning 450 pounds for three reps like he was a 66 foot shot putter out of high school uh multi-year state champion in wrestling i mean the dude's just a beast um he's just a he's a freak of nature that is and 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 even in the thing that's sort of interesting about him is like he wasn't because he's from iowa he wasn't dominant when we saw him in camps. He wasn't dominant when we had him in the Army All-American Bowl. But he, but he was just, he just, it was clear from his other athletic stuff that he was a really special athlete that just didn't have the, the polish yet. And man, when Iowa gets a guy like that, they, they, they do this with him. Who uh, yeah, he's like, he's kind of a rare breed for Iowa too because. Their offensive linemen usually, when they leave and enter the draft, are usually fourth and fifth year guys, and he's not. So it's time to go. Time for mm-hmm. you to get out. Uh, where do y'all want to go next? Any any player or headline or storyline you want to turn a spotlight to? It turns out that Isaiah Simmons is a freak athlete and very good. Uh, who would have thought? No, I, I. That's one of my favorite parts of the combine every year is watching those who you know are NFL fans who don't really pay super close attention to college, if at all suddenly discover these guys like they'll still they'll have read them in like mock drafts for the last couple months since they started coming down be like okay yeah okay uh-huh, uh-huh and then they finally get a dose of the guy at the combine it's like wow have you seen this isaiah simmons guy he played like five different positions he ran a uh a 4.39 40 yes. which was the same time as florida cornerback cj henderson they did. I, they do those forty-yard draft things where they, or forty-yard dash <laughs> things where they would do like they would overlay the players on other players at their positions, and you know, like from past classes. I mean, they did one with Simmons, Julio Jones, Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, and another wide receiver. I can't remember who it was. And Simmons beat them all. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's insane. He's one of the biggest freaks. I I mean you'll ever see. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I mean he's him and and worse to me were like the stories of the whole deal. Um you know, I, I think 
the the other one that that like low key was almost as freaky as Isaiah Simmons, and in some tests he was even better. Was Willie Gay at Mississippi yes. State, who played all of four games and ex- exploded Garrett Schrader's face before the bowl game and got Joe Moorhead fired. Uh, boy, he they, they could have used him for another eight games. Yeah, that wasn't a shock because I mean, think think we all knew he was a good athlete. It's the, yeah. the thing that's going to kill him is just the like the suspension stuff. That's going to be what has teams hesitate. I think that if you're just drafting a like an athlete, that's that's the dude that's going to be fine. But his absence really helped those Mississippi State overs. <laughs> so right. we are always grateful to Willie Gay and Leo Lewis and. Uh, and everybody else. No, what Leo Lewis? Leo Lewis was in there, which was part of the problem. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but Willie Gay was that was that was that was a good thing for the overs having Willie Gay out of there. What was another? Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. What were his uh, What were his tests like? Where did he stand out? I didn't I didn't have him. I didn't get a chance to catch him. He killed it in the forty. I know he was. Let me look it up real quick. Willie Gay. He had a he he ran four four six in the forty. He had a broad jump of 136 inches with his 99th percentile. His 40s, 97th percentile. His vertical jump of 39 and a half inches, 93rd percentile. His bench press wasn't great, but he was, you know, he's good size, big hands. He was average in the 20-yard shuttle and the three-cone drills. Just he, he, he improved his stock a little bit. And it's going to depend on how he does in interviews and that kind of stuff with like the, the suspensions, how teams feel about that. He he's a guy who could go in the first round. I just don't know if he will. Uh, yeah, I doubt he does just because there's like, I think he had a shot if he had played this year, but it's just hard for me to envision it. I'm like, there's, uh, is there a player that you think is going to fool NFL scouts or? Com recruit or uh, draft Knicks with their combine that we as college football fans know is actually not that good. Jabari Zaniga. Yeah, he did really well. He did really well, and uh, I kind of feel like I've been calling Jabari Zuniga's name, like trying to get ahead of everybody, and I always outrun where he's at. Like, yeah, I, like I, I over the I overshot the target on him for like three years. <laughs> my, well, uh, my, yeah. My thing with Jabari is that, like, he's clearly, you know, he he can move, and he's an athlete. It's just he's not big, and he's got short arms. And I feel like, you know, for that position where you're going to want him, that's not great. And I'll also say his teammate, who everybody's saying C.J. Henderson had a great combine, and he did because the combine is kind of where C.J. Henderson, in my mind, based on what I see, you know, when I watch him play at Florida, is the kind of stuff he's going to excel at. My problem with C.J. Henderson is when he's on the field covering dudes, he sometimes is way too concerned with trying to get an interception or making a play, and he will lose track of his guy. (laughs) And I feel like he's got good hands, yes, so there's a reason he makes those interceptions. I just feel like there's a lot of times where he's, you know, letting his guy free because he's too he's too busy looking back to see if he can get a pick. I thought, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Alabama receivers, Ruggs and Jerry Judy. Uh, Judy is like a 25th percentile athlete with all his testing. Yeah, he did not have a great combine. And Ruggs, and, but Judy was like for, for really throughout – their time at Alabama, Judy was considered the 
sort of the the best guy of that bunch. You know, there's points during the season this year where Mock Drass had Judy going like top five, just like crazy high. And now as we've getting getting closer, there's so many good receivers, and so many of these guys ran so well, including Rugs running a four two seven. You know, I'm I, this is just going to be to me really interesting to see whether people kind of circle back on the early impressions of Judy or whether they talk themselves out of them and, and get seduced by some of these faster wide receivers. Yeah. See, for me, I feel like when I watch Judy, it's not so much like his athleticism that really stands out. Although it's, you know, he's still what his 40 was. Well, let me see. He ran a four, four, five, 40. So yeah. The 40 like, was good. His 40 was good, but he had like a four, five, three shuttle, which yeah, is, that which was, that's the more third percentile. Thing. So, you know, maybe he slipped and it killed his speed. I don't know. But my thing with Judy has always been when I watch him, it's just his route running. I just feel like he's so good and so clean and so sharp when he does that, that that's what that more than his athleticism and ability is what helps separate him from college level players. Now, will he be able to do that consistently against NFL defensive backs? I, I don't know. I would take Justin Jefferson ahead of Henry Ruggs. Behind Jerry Judy. Mm, I don't think that's – yeah, that, that, see, that's part of the problem with, like, this wide receiver class. It's like there's so many, and there's it's there's so many defensible positions to take in any kind of ranking that you want to give them. I, oh, yeah, CD Lamb got like knocked, this. right? Didn't CD Lamb get knocked for not doing enough bench presses? Did he? Uh, you know what? CD Lamb doesn't have to do any damn bench presses. I mean, that's the <laughs> not, thing is like I'm not drafting CD Lamb to impress me in the weight room. Yeah, like CD Lamb, uh, Jerry Judy. I I almost would say that their combine results are negligible in my eyes. I have seen them ball, and I think that they can do that uh, at the next. Yeah, but no level. one's saying they, no one's saying they can't. So the question then is, are you still are you still saying like? So, I mean, your position is still that he's better than Henry Ruggs. Correct. Yes. Henry Despite the fact that Ruggs is like uh, a significantly better athlete. Yes. I think Ruggs has a higher ceiling if he taps into his potential, but I don't know that he's a ready-made better receiver than those guys know. Man, I'm sure you guys have watched Ruggs' basketball clips yes. by now, oh, right? God, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're more fun than the football. You know, he ran a 10 in high school. He ran like a – so – he didn't play football as a sophomore, for one. He, played, he just played basketball. As a junior, he balled out. We were like, you know, is this guy even going to play football on the next level? I, I, don't even th- I, I don't even think he ran track until his senior year, and he ran a 10-5 in his senior, in his senior year. And I think that was his first time running track. Like, and when you watch his basketball clips, the like, there's – good verticals and there's impressive dunking but the explosiveness the spring the twitch the bounce like whatever you want to phrase like the way he moves and elevates and and just explodes i think is it's it that's some of the most athletic movement i've ever seen so you're and, in on rugs you're you're no, camp rugs well, I, I i don't i'm i'm kind of I'm not taking a stand here. I'm just, I, but I, but I would understand the the appeal of a rugs, particularly given sort of the way that the NFL is going in terms of like how much speed can impact things, even in, in the way offense is operating right now, in in the way you know the teams that were 
playing for the Super Bowl and and how they can use the jet sweep, how they can use the vertical passing game, you know, all the different ways they can get guys involved beyond just running an out and up or whatever. You know, like so I th- I think the game is it, it's a good time to be running four twos. Um and I and I think that getting uh influenced and sucked into that is a little more defensible right now with a guy like Ruggs, who I actually think is a really good football player. Sure. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then maybe the like who was like the Maryland receiver or whatever that ran fast and got drafted in the first round by the Raiders, or you know, like there's always these guys that get drafted high who suck. Um, I don't think that's Ruggs. Is he better than Judy? Uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm. 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 I'm taking the easy route and I'm not making a stand there. But I think it'll be very. If he goes one or if he goes first receiver. I'm not going to knock that pick. I think that I go Judy, Lamb, and then I'll start having some conversations. But I feel pretty good about my one and two. Tom? Yeah. Uh, I like Lamb a little more. I think I think Judy's cleaner. I think Lamb's a bit more explosive. And I think that Lamb I, – I, I feel like – for as good as Lamb is and for what he's done, he's also played in an offense that hasn't really asked him to be like, an, you know, the, the thing with a lot of offenses like we see like Oklahoma runs and the air raids in general is the route trees are never as deep as you see in a lot of offenses where I feel like Judy's been in a much more NFL-ish kind of route tree than Lamb is. So I feel like there's a higher ceiling there because Lamb has already proven he's very, he's got, he's definitely the athlete. He's proven he could be, you know, he, he's shown he can make plays. And I feel like if he gets a little more NFL coaching and a little more advanced as far as the route tree that he's going to run and what he can do, I feel like he can become even better. Whereas I feel like Jerry Judy, if you draft him, you're drafting a very good wide receiver. But I feel like you're drafting a number, a number two receiver. Whereas mm. I feel like C.D. Lamb has the chance to be that number one, you know, big shot, awesome big money receiver that you have whereas judy's always going to be to me kind of like a more of a complimentary guy it's one good compliment complimentary player Mm -hmm. Uh, oh yeah he'd be a high-end number two for sure yeah i I thought that there was some i thought the the i think the quarterbacks in this this class are getting pretty interesting uh first of all Fromm's combine was garbage was was, yes was pretty bad (laughs) Just look like I'm so practice. glad he's no longer on our dogs and we don't have to worry about him. By the way, uh, look, how how perfect is it for sorry, quick sidebar. Uh no, the, the Georgia podcast forgot about Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz. Just because that's just that's that's the because we don't really respect them as being in the SEC East. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, no, they're they're Missouri's in the SEC? Yeah, that's that was just still still part of the hazing that's been going on since Missouri showed up in the SEC East years ago. Sorry, yeah, Jake Fromm, trash combine. We were just trying to stay in character with yeah. that one. Um Yeah. He it kind of looks like the starting quarterback for the SAE, you know, intramural squad <laughs> when you compare him to those other guys. And that's not fair. That's, that's, but I mean, he's, that's, and that's not who he is. Like, he's not going to blow up a combine. Um, and I still think he's going to be, you know, someone's going to fall in love with the interviews to the point where they he probably still didn't get out of the second round, would be my guess. But 
just out of curiosity, like I texted a, a personnel higher up, um, and I was like, did Fromm just work himself out of the second day? And I, because people in the office were talking about that, and so I, just, I, I would have been surprised if he had, and so I just wanted to hear what, what my guy said, and he was like, uh, I don't think it was that bad, but it was pretty bad. So, I mean, it, he did not help himself in any way on uh, over the weekend. Here's some scary way to look at Fromm's performance, and I, I'm out of the uh, Bears taking him in the second round train. I'm off that because I just his, his small hands – then combined with his arm strength, I don't think will play well in the winter in Chicago. But back to back draftable, they do the comps based on how the players you know performed at the combine. And here are the mo- the closest comps to Fromm based on combine performances among quarterbacks: Tyler Wilson, Arkansas; Joe Burrow. But that's only based on the measurables because Burrow didn't go through any of the uh, drills and all that kind of stuff. Jared Stidham, Greg McElroy, Jimmy Clausen. Brandon Allen, C.J. Beathard, Kurt Benkert, Brad Sorensen from Southern Utah in 2013, and Cooper Rush. In other words, a lot of guys who had successful college careers, but nobody in that group who had, you could say, has been anything in the NFL. Yeah. All right. What's uh? Go ahead. Well, I wanted to go. I wanted to talk more quarterbacks, though. Yeah. So there's a couple more storylines I think that because Justin Herbert was uh Justin Herbert's going to be. Continuing to uh, attract everybody that wants to see all the all the gifts. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the combine was tailor made for Justin Herbert. Did you? But so uh, Todd McShay, did you hear he bet Mel Kiper five grand to a charity that Jordan Love would go above Herbert? Did he? Yeah. Did I see that. He's probably so, gonna lose that bet. I'd take Love over Herbert. I just would. I just I don't think I don't think other teams are going to. I just think that you know they're going to see here. Okay, I'll do it. I just did the comparisons for Fromm. You know who the number one comparison is to Justin Herbert on the mock draftable? Who? Some quarterback from Wyoming named Josh Allen. Oh yeah. Number two, Blaine Gabbert. Number three, Andrew Luck. Number four, Duke's own Daniel Jones. And then Josh Freeman, Jordan Love, Kent Smith, Stephen Montez, Paxton Lynch, and Jeff Drizzy. Yeah, but see, I, I don't like the mock draftable thing for quarterbacks. No, is but, it's not that relevant. But I'm saying I, I'm using the Josh Allen just because of who did they who did all the NFL teams fall in love with last year based on his arm strength and his size and his mobility, and then it's like, yeah, but did you watch the tape? Uh, who cares? He was you know he didn't have anybody. He was he was throwing to you know like insurance salesmen, and now with Justin Herbert, it's going to be, yeah, but did you see the tape? Yeah, but who cares? He was playing in an offense that wasn't suited to his skills. It's like they're, everybody is already looking for every single excuse they can to say that it wasn't Justin Herbert's fault. And maybe it wasn't, but I have seen it too many times from NFL teams and decision makers. I think that Herbert will go before Love. I'm not saying he's going to be better than Love, but I, yeah. I, I'm but almost you know, sure he will. You know who else is a good comparison to Josh Allen? Jordan Love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Jordan Love, you know, 2018, when he had some – good players around him and a, a quality coaching staff around him that he was was comfortable with he was he was nasty last year new coaching staff totally turned over the offense and he came back down to earth 
which is basically exactly what happened to Josh Allen. So uh, I think that's going to be a pretty interesting one to see what happens with Jordan Love. Uh, I don't like. I understand the concerns about Justin Herbert, but I don't know if I, I think that Jordan Love definitely is going to be better. No, but you, uh, yeah, and look, I mean, I, and I'm not even going to sit. My 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 Jordan Love comp is Jameis Winston. Not in terms of That's size not, or anything, but I was just talking about touchdowns and interceptions. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's a question for you guys. So I'll stick it on the quarterbacks. Raise your hand if you had Cole McDonald running the fastest 40 among QBs. <laughs> and also the, cutting his have, hair, the dreads are gone. Did he have the fastest? Yeah. So he, he ran fast. Four, five, eight. He beat Jalen. Yeah. Uh, did you he see? He shaved off the dreads to look more professional. Yeah, that explanation. Four, five, eight. I didn't want them to think my dreads were a character concern. Dude. <laughs> also made him more aerodynamic, apparently. <laughs> uh oh, one more thing on Jordan Love. I think that Robbie Callen pointed this out, but there needs to be like a college football degenerate gambler on the set for all NFL draft coverage because Utah State, I looked this up, had five games where it missed covering the spread by more than two touchdowns. Like anybody that was watching Jordan Love blow covers, throwing interceptions, will tell you that he's not <laughs> worth drafting. Okay, you want to? I'll tell you something that's even more bizarre here. Did you get just when I was running down the combine results and sort of studying it? I kept on running into Rhode Island players. I mean, did you guys know there are three Rhode Island players at, at the NFL dra- uh, combine this year? Go no, Rams! I did not. There are two wide receivers. There was one offensive lineman. Do you guys know what Rhode Island's record was this year? One and eleven. Yeah, three and eight. <laughs> they were. They were two and ten <laughs> with three NFL athletes on their offense. Yeah, but the Atlantic Ten is a really deep conference. <laughs> I mean, remarkable. I was like, I was like, I was like, wow, man, all these Rhode Island guys. Man, Rhode Island must have been good this year. I don't remember hearing much about them in FCS, and so I just like looked up their stats and their their record, and it was, it was two and ten. So I don't know how that worked. Um, the other, the other thing that was, so the two or two more quarterback things I thought was interesting. Sorting the One, whole group by vertical uh, jump, reverse sorting the order. quarterback group. Yeah, like Jacob Eason's twenty-seven and a half inch vertical jump, dead last among quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Just behind Nate Stanley. Yeah, Nate Stanley, James Morgan, Jake Fromm, Brian Lewerke, and Shea Patterson. You know, one of those Rhode Island wide receivers, vertical 26 and a half inches. It was like the worst vertical for a receiver of all time or something. Um, you know, Jacob Eason got bad reviews in his interview com- in his, uh, process too. Yeah. Which I is thought. not, which is 100% expected because Jacob Eason is just like laid back, you know, chill, easy going dude. And I think that they wanted to, they wanted a uh, little more intense guy. Mm. But here's the thing. That's going to be a knock against Jacob Eason. Justin Herbert being the same type of person won't be a knock against him. And you know why? Because look at him. He's so big. He's got a strong arm. <laughs> he was an Eagle Scout. <laughs> he was an Eagle Scout. Yeah. Got to trust him. But yeah, I heard uh, I talked to somebody that was up there that said the uh, that Joe Burrow was 
outstanding in interviews. Um, like his recall, you know, what, what pulling up plays from a Texas game and, and just sort of being able to have him tell you exactly what was about to happen in this play and what, you know, what the coverage was and what the, the route, you know, just like the, the way he was able to um, just dial up and recall information and, and, and sort of talk quickly and, and decisively about sort of what took place and why was, uh, was apparently 10 out of 10, which is not surprising. Not and, at and, all. And, me. and, and apparently to a, not, not, not quite like, like Burrow is a, is a leg up on Tua in that regard. I would bet Jalen Hurts did pretty well in that too. I would think so. So this and this and, and Hurts brings up another one that's interesting. So are you are y'all seeing all the the Taysom Hill comparisons? Yes. Yes. Hurts? Yes. How do you feel about that? He's a much better quarterback than Taysom. Hill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, what, like, what are we talking about? <laughs> Taysom I mean, Hill. <laughs> yeah. Like Jalen is not a perfect quarterback, and he has some serious flaws. That I think he, I think he's, I think he is mostly a one read guy, and then he's trying to look to run, or he's a little too selfish on like read option kind of stuff. But as far as just being a general quarterback, I think at this point in their careers, Jalen Hurts is far more advanced than Taysom Hill was at this point. Because I think what Taysom Hill was like thirty three when he was entering the track, <laughs> and Taysom Hill's like. His uh, Taysom Hill's passer passer rating in his healthy seasons, of which there were only two, were 116 and 118. Jalen Hurts' passer rating the last two seasons were 196 and 191. Like it's not he's not a he's not you don't draft him in like the sixth round as some guy you might be able to put in some packages for. Like he's a he could he could potentially be a starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean he's he's a good player. <laughs> like I don't understand what like why we're overthinking this hurt stuff. He's not some incompetent passer. Taysom Hill, it looked like, um, it looked like a you know, and then when you're in middle school or whatever, like junior high football, you just put the best guy at quarterback, and you know he he can't really throw, but he makes the most out of it. Like that was what Taysom Hill looked like in in college. I feel like. Jalen is a dude that if he gets drafted by the right team, and I mean like somebody that doesn't need him to step in right away and be the franchise QB, but if he if he gets drafted somewhere with either like an aging veteran that's going to be retiring soon or just kind of like a placement holder that's there for another year or two and just gets gets a year to just get acclimated, I think he could be really good. Yeah, man. I got I don't it, it, it kind of blows my mind that that people are trying to paint Jalen Hurts as potentially a good gimmick option. It's like just maybe just draft him as a guy that could play quarterback for you. NFL can't quit Taysom Hill. They've been talking about no. him for two damn months. <laughs> I mean, like they they really tried I just to say remember, if, if Drew Brees if Drew Brees doesn't retire, it's okay. They've got Taysom Hill. Yeah, I remember a bunch of people like arguing about Taysom Hill being a franchise QB. I'm like, who the hell ever said Taysom Hill is a franchise QB? <laughs> There's this weird off one tweet and NFL Twitter spent like three weeks talking about it. Yeah, there was this weird NFL Twitter uh, argument going on where the the I feel like the initial tweet or comment was from PFT talking about him 
of being a potential future star in the NFL or something. And like everyone took that and ran with it and had debates with it. What like what, and it wasn't even really clear to me what the what the quote was even referring to, like a franchise quarterback or just a player that's going to continue to be make an impact. Like this Taysom Hill stuff is is kind of kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, How about Donovan People Jones having a great 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 combine? And I hope people don't get confused. I was going to say like that. Is he going to be the guy that fools people, kissing to draft him high because? He ain't gonna be make plays in the next level, I don't think. No. How about oh, you know who you know who was really impressive this week? Speaking of receivers, Chase Claypool. Mm. Yeah. He he had a great combine. And it's like I he's kind of like that tweener. Nobody knows if he's a tight end or a wide receiver, but yeah. I feel like that's a good thing that works in his favor because my God. <laughs> he ran a four four two forty, forty and a half inch vertical, hundred twenty six inch broad jump. He's got giant hands. He's got good size. That's a guy that is going to be utilized by somebody. Yeah. When do those yeah. uh, when do those kinds of players start going? Does it or is it normally a run on them like in the second or third round? I think that I mean depending on how things go, he could work his way because this is also not a great tight end class. I don't right. Think. No, I agree. And if teams are looking at him as like kind of a, like a, what's, do they use you? you Just a, an, an inline tight end, not, or not an inline tight end, not a blocker, but just, you know, like a slot guy, like a Travis Kelsey type-ish. I think he could be like definitely mid to late first round by the time this is all settled. So he's competing with like uh, Oregon's Jacob Breland, who's coming off an injury. Cole Komet. Cole Komet. Yeah. Uh, the guy who used to be at Arkansas, but then left. Um. Oh yes, O'Grady. Yeah, I think he's got off-field concerns. Bryson Hopkins had a decent combine from Purdue. Um, Harrison Bryant. I think probably Cole Komet's. Yeah, I mean, he could he could beat with Cole Komet, his teammate. Here, here, Cole, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just I think Cole Komet's probably. I mean, he, he Cole Komet would probably be my, my top true tight end. Yeah, he didn't have a great combine though. But here, right. it's uh going back to the mock draftable like comps. Here's for Chase Claypool, not just as an athlete. Not at any particular position. Thomas Howard, outside linebacker. Jared Cook, tight end. Alan Lazar, wide receiver. Isaiah Simmons, linebacker. Jacob Phillips, linebacker. Marcus Davis, wide receiver. Adrian Wilson, safety. Jonathan Welsh, linebacker. Colt Lyola, tight end. Namdi Asamoah, cornerback. That's just, it's like, nobody, he could be used in a lot of different ways. Sick athletes everywhere. Um, Neville Gallimore ran a 4 7 9 40. For comparison at the defensive tackle position, Quinnen Williams forty, which drew turned a lot of heads last year, was a four eight three. Yeah, Gallimore's a freak. He was a freak coming in. Yeah, I've had him going to like the Titans late in the first and all my mocks, but starting to think that he might not be there anymore. <laughs> be interesting. What would y'all do with Jonathan Taylor? I mean, he's, uh, I think he's the best running back. I mean, my thoughts on Taylor haven't changed. I think that he did very well at the combine. My problem with Taylor is he's still he's he's he did well as far as like the shuttle drills and like that kind of stuff. I still think that if you get him going in a straight line, good luck. He's hard to tackle and he's very fast. I just still feel when I would watch him at Wisconsin, if he has to change direction, he slows down a little bit and he needs to get back up to full speed and also. I think he his vision is something that I 
am not completely sold on. Like, if the hole is where the hole is designed to be, I think he's great. I think sometimes when the hole's not there and he's got to find it, he struggles. And I think that was evident when you saw him face defenses like Ohio State, who were able to take that, you know, the design play away. If he's up against a good defensive line that could neutralize an offensive line like Wisconsin's that generally has an advantage on most other teams that it's playing, he really struggles. He's not like the kind of back that I feel like that can make his own success. And I think that could be a problem for him on the next level because you're going to face a lot more defensive fronts able to do that at the NFL than you were you know, in the Big Ten. So who's your top back? <sighs> I mean... I don't think this is a great running back class, honestly. Uh, I like Anthony McFarland. I love Cam Akers. I've always loved Cam Akers. I just yeah, I wonder if for- you could like, yeah, like I wonder wh- if where it's going to be interesting. The game of chicken of of seeing how low you can get Cam Akers. Yeah, because could- he's a first round from a from a talent standpoint. He's a first round type of guy. And he could end up being the best back in this class. I mean, he's like he's not all that different than Dalvin Cook when I watch him. He looks a lot like Dalvin Cook, and we've seen what Dalvin's been able to do for the Vikings. And I just feel like you get him behind a real offensive line. That's a guy that'd be great. I think DeAndre Swift is very good. I just think that there's no clear-cut, duh, have-to-have running back in this class, but I think people are going to tell themselves that Taylor is, and I just think that I would rather wait for one of those, or maybe I think Swift might be the first one to go, but I, I would rather wait till those guys are gone and then take a Cam Akers or maybe even an A.J. Dillon, who I thought had a pretty good combine, better than I was expecting. One of those guys than the top guys, just because I think you're bound to get very similar performance and maybe better. Any other uh, notes from uh, from the combine weekend? Well, I, I wanted to hand out some golden dumbbells. All right, so we'll, we'll do golden dumbbells do on the, break. Yeah, on the other side of the break. Coming up on the other side, the Golden Dumbbell Awards and Alabama looking like it has its replacement for Scott Cochran. Next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time to get ready for your fantasy baseball drafts. Check out the number one fantasy baseball podcast out there, Fantasy Baseball Today. The Fantasy Baseball Today podcast has been helping listeners with their leagues for more than 10 years now. The position previews, well, guess what? They are all published. They've got sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, and listener emails, and that's all just this week. Plus, you'll get a new episode every morning, five days a week until the season ends. That's Fantasy Baseball Today, anywhere you listen to podcasts. All right, golden dumbbell time. Who's obviously Rhode Island's going to be somewhere on here, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
so the golden dumbbell is it's a really like you know it's tough because are you rewarding for having guys in there are you rewarding for what like recruiting freaks and just not screwing it up or you're so it's sort of you know it's kind of tricky um but I, I'll, I'll hand out three golden dumbbells. All right. I'll hand I'll hand out one for, I think this year, Joey Batson at Clemson, a guy who's he's in his twenty second year there, so he's been there for a minute. But I mean Isaiah Simmons is a freak, and his body did not you know, look like that when he showed up on campus. Did not. And he was a, I mean, he was a 23 foot long jumper. Like he was a great athlete. He was also a four seven plus 40 yard dash guy. So he added 40 pounds and dropped his 40 yard dash four tenths of a second or whatever it is. So you know, he didn't just he didn't just luck into Isaiah Simmons. So that that there was development there. But also like Tanner Muse ran a four four one forty. I think AJ Terrell was in the four four range. Kayvon Wallace, John Simpson, all those guys tested well. Tremaine Ankrum, I think, didn't test that well. I don't have his numbers in front of me, but other than that, pretty much everyone tested well, including a couple that were kind of off the charts. And then, you know, and that, that includes the Tanner Muse, who I'm not sure anyone saw running borderline 4-3. And you can even give him a little bit partial credit for Kelly Bryant had a pretty good combine uh, out of Missouri who spent a good three-plus years or whatever at Clemson. So, um I thought the in terms of just this year's drafts, uh, Clemson might could be sort of considered the winner. Do you think that? Um, do you think that that comes also on the back, like the rolling out Dexter Lawrence, uh, Christian Wilkins, and Cleveland Farrell last year? You're like, oh wow! But then now, when you follow it up, now you just have to start to believe that you know, we're going to turn around next year. Well, guess what? We're going to be talking about Xavier Thomas. Like it's uh, Trevor yeah. Lawrence. Like it's just, it's so, going to continue. So I'm giving, I, I gave th- my golden dumbbells go to three subcategories this year, uh, group of five and, and sort of lifetime achievement. Uh, and so I, I didn't even really consider last year, but I do think that that's, you know, yeah, sure. That's relevant. I mean, Clemson's the guys are stud. Clearly they've been, they've been producing at a really high level. And that's we're gonna get more of that next year, I'm sure. The the one that I think, and look, we've talked about. I think Notre Dame you could also put in there for this year. Um, uh, Chris Fink tested like four four two. That's a former walk on. Uh, Chase Claypool we talked about. Alohi Gilman didn't run great in the forty, but it was really good in all the other testing events. Same with Jalen Elliott. Um, so. I've given Matt Bayless a lot of love. I think he's oh, really yeah. good. No, yeah, this would be their know. second straight golden dumbbell. Yeah, so I'm not giving. They don't. Have, they're not getting one. That's okay. like just their golden domes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But my my like career, like my lifetime achievement golden dumbbell this year goes to Dwight Galt at Penn State. It wasn't even like a um, crazy combine for Penn State, but when you go through and just look at everyone who tested and sort of go through each program and you know there's some guys that aren't that good some guys that are good Penn State didn't really have a guy that that was that underachieved um John Reed was off the charts and all the lateral agility stuff change of direction stuff um Rob Rob Windsor was good 
Itor Grossmatos was good. Like they, no, no one that blew the combine up, but all just really good. And I, I just think there's no one I trust more on a year in year out basis that like their guys are going to come and show out than Penn State and Dwight Galt. Because remember, he was producing like Vernon Davis back in the day at Maryland. Um, you know, he's been doing this forever. And every year, Penn State guys ball. And then my last golden dumbbell for a group of five guy, Boise State's dude showed up. Uh, mm. Jeff Pittman is their guy. He's been at Boise the last four years. Was was at Boise, I, think, I guess, back in like the Dan Hawkins days uh, in like the early 2000s. Um, but Ezra Cleveland was one of the best O-linemen there from a testing standpoint. Uh, John Hightower tested really well at receiver. John Mulshan, I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. Um, Mulshan, who's another offensive lineman that tested really well. So, you know, in terms of the the group of five guys, Boise State was really good. Temple was pretty good too. Um, but Brad Ort is, is, is the Temple strength coach. He's only been there for a year, so I'm not going to give him full credit. Deal with it, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> What was the uh, did you how did Cam Brown from Penn State test? Good. I mean, not like he's really long. He's like six, I think he measured like six five, um, but he ran like four seven. I want to say, but was good in all the other drills. Um, let's see, he was four yeah. seven two four seven two at, yeah. at six five two thirty three with thirty four inch arms, but he was a hundred twenty three inches broad jump, which is ten feet, thirty five and a half inch vertical. 16th bench rep. So, like, 40's not ideal, but everything else was good for a six foot five linebacker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For just this this long, rangy, big, big long person. Um, yeah. Any any programs, Tom, that stood out to you? Uh, I thought, yeah, you you mentioned Notre Dame. I thought Notre Dame's players did a terrific job. I thought LSU's guys had a pretty good day, but I think we kind of expected that to come. Uh, off the top of my head, other than that, no. I mean, I, I do think that Boise's guys did well. What's Who's the linebacker from Boise whose name is completely escaping my head right now? Curtis Weaver? He did. Uh, Curtis Weaver. Yeah, Curtis Weaver was more athletic than I thought he was going to be based on what he did. Uh, other than that, no. The uh, Oklahoma's guys were pretty good. Oh, yeah. They're, you know, Kenneth Murray, I forgot to mention him earlier. He had a good combine. Oklahoma was like the four for four, basically. Like all four guys tested pretty well. Mm, golden dumbbell watch T- list. TCU. TCU was pretty good. Florida was pretty good. Um, Georgia was improved from last year. Like, remember last year, there was like some kind of like startlingly bad testing from Georgia guys? I do. Mm-hmm. But we got Cochran now, so we'll be fine. Yeah, he's he's just gonna <laughs> we motivate him. <laughs> At least I'm just happy you picked up on it. <laughs> I'm gonna refer to Georgia as we all season long. <laughs> all right, the, um, Florida, the Florida listeners are gonna go like start to just like revolt after a little while here. Oh yeah, especially as we start with by trash and Jabari Zuniga. And uh, right. and just keeping it going. It's- that wasn't even intense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned Scott Cocker, and of course, who's who's arrived in Athens to uh, to cure the Georgia disease. Alabama has reportedly um, moved forward in replacing Cochran and has targeted Indiana's David Ballou. Uh, there is 
This has not been made official, but we're basically widely reporting this. Uh, Bruce Feldman, among many, many others, are reporting it. Barton, I'll, I'll throw this to you first. Do you? I've got his biography. I had to write the news story for CBSSports.com, but I don't have any uh, personal previous uh, interactions or inside knowledge. I know he was at with your beloved Fighting Irish at Notre Dame for a season before he went back to Indiana. Do you have a, a real read on on who this guy is and sort of what his trajectory has looked like? So I think this is a re- like this is a really fascinating. So the Scott Cochran is he's from the Tommy Moffat tree uh, down at LSU, um, a little old school. Uh, obviously, his personality is very s- sort of stereotypical strength coach. Um, David Ballou is I assume that's how you say, I don't even know if that's how you say his name, but he's being hired from Indiana. Uh, previously was at uh, Notre Dame, as you said. Previous before that was at IMG, IMG Academy, yeah, for a couple of years, and then before that he was just a high school coach or high school strength coach. Um, but he's coming. There's sort of sort of like a package deal. It's him and this guy Matt Ray, who is sort of a sports scientist of sorts, and. So these guys are very new age, very like analytically analytics driven, shifting the way where they're thinking about strength training, injury prevention, uh, much less about what do you bench, much more about, uh, you know, what's are you doing? Are, are we doing this efficiently? Are we? Is this actually translate to to on the field success and, and those sort of things? And and they're. You know, without knowing them or having firsthand insight, like reportedly, this is just a little bit more of a. They're not yellers, you know. This is more of a, um, I, I guess, clinical approach to things. Um, and I just I found a couple stories. I mean, I, I would be encouraged if I was an Alabama fan because this this feels like it's much more um, modern. Uh, and, and, and new age in terms of the approach, which I think is probably a good thing. And just sort of an example, um, I just pulled this quote from a story from Baloo. He said, we know contact off the line of scrimmage happens as fast as 0.45 seconds between O and D linemen. If our guys can produce their peak power at 0.45 seconds, we're going to have a chance off the line of scrimmage. Whereas if you've got a guy that can squat 700 pounds, but it takes him 0.7 seconds to get to his peak power, the other dude is into him and he's going to lose. So, the idea isn't like how much can you bench, how much can you squat. It's about how explosive can you get, and I think that is is the right approach. You know, it's it's sort of individualizing the workouts. Everybody, every person's body is different. Um, you know, having being able to monitor, you know, how strong is your left leg versus your right leg? How strong is your left upper leg versus lower leg? Uh, so that you can have the information to see where you need to correct to, to sort of prevent injuries. Cause I, you know, obviously that's an area where like injuries pop up is when you're uh, compensating for uh, imbalance and those sort of things. And so I think that like that sort of approach is probably the, the way this is all going. And these guys seem to be pretty cutting edge. I, I actually, I was able to look up, I Googled and I found the lose basic philosophy in a short little poem. <clears throat> I and I cite. He looks for the bare necessities, simple <laughs> bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. He means the bare necessities, 
old mother nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Hey, I can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> Much love to Jungle Book, no doubt. I, I, he, I thought you were about to hit us with some, uh, with with some like real deep, uh, you know, football talk. Some like I love football here. I want, I want, I want Rams and compassion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rams are tough, but compassionate. <laughs> I wonder if Scott Cochran's ever ever read the Bare Necessities. I don't think so. Probably not. Uh, it's more Rocky Four. So we're I, we're given this, uh, I guess. Uh, the, I'm not thumbs up because you've got to wait until the effects are already put in place. You know, as we mentioned before, at this point in the calendar, the program is installed. They, they've already got what they're going to be doing. It'll probably be until next off season that we could even try to feel like we've got an idea of what kind of impact positive or negative this has on the Alabama team. But uh, I assumed that it was that stop at IMG just because Alabama does you know, end up recruiting some of those guys that play on that IMG sort of prep football team. Also, uh, he was involved in helping with some combine training from for like two dozen players over a couple of years. And so, you know, that would be another opportunity for Saban and the Alabama team to get a good look at him. So I obviously this looked like they went to they went to the streets and they asked for one of the best in the biz. You know, you can't so, look at it and just be like, oh, he came from Indiana. Like you can't look at in this position, I don't think that I can look at the Indiana and in the same way, if I would consider Indiana, yes, lesser of a program than Alabama, that doesn't mean that it'll extend all the way down to your strength coaches. Right. And I think to me, this is what's interesting about this is he's going the non meathead route. Um, and I, I don't like, that's not really been necessarily Nick Saban's route. I mean, Nick Saban's route's always been, we're going to get bigger. We're going to be, bigger and stronger than you and and this guy is more about we're going to train smart and 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 that, I, I just i wonder how much of that is going to clash with nick saban's like let's go ones versus ones in november and like battle it out uh and so we'll, I, you know, i'm just curious about that and then i think the other side of this is like I, my hunch is that this is an upgrade on the strength and conditioning side of things but Scott Cochran was the guy that it wasn't just about strength and conditioning; it was about like having the pulse of the team, having the trust of Nick Saban, that communication regularly throughout the season. You know, it, it's going to be interesting to see, and there's no way for us to know how well these two guys, Baloo and Ray, adapt to sort of that element of the job. But Nick Saban continues to evolve. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Nick Saban also stood up there and said, is this what we want football to be? Talking about, uh, you know, trying to change the rules to prevent up-tempo offenses from having an advantage against the defense. And sure enough, you know, it's probably six years later, but six years later, what do we see Tua doing? I mean, just running that Alabama up-tempo offense. I think that his willingness to sort of move with the times, like, he might fight it at first, but... They were down 13 nothing to Georgia in the national championship game, and he said, all right, fine, put him in, run no huddle. And sure enough, they came back and won the title. I feel like that had to be the one of the moments where everything sort of flipped for him. 
Yeah, this is a this is a very non-stubborn hire. Yeah. Word. Uh all right, Barton. Are you uh are you prepared? Book club? Yeah. All right. Book club it. You ready? Um Yes. So the Cover 3 Book Club, since we're friends, you know, the three of us are friends, all of, of the, our listeners are our friends as well. This is the off season. This is reading season because otherwise all we're doing is watching football in our spare time. So it's good to have recommendations from our friends. All right. So we've been going, this is still a football podcast. You know, we've been trying to broaden your horizons by giving you some non-football books through the first three, but I figured just to make sure we don't lose everybody, we'll bring you back in, give you a football book. Um, I present to you The Perfect Pass by S.C. Gwynn. It is basically the history of the air raid. Um, it's and, and really... Uh, the the primary kind of focus of this book is how mummy and how how mummy came up with evolved the air raid but for you mississippi state fans out there uh there's a lot of there's a lot of mike leach in here and you know just like there's it's not like a, one of these books that's just like all of like full of like quirky stories from the mummy leach road trips from their recruiting days at Iowa Wesleyan or whatever. Like, that's not real. Like, they have some of those. But that's not really what this book is about. It's more about sort of um, how how the offense was installed, how, how they came up with it, sort of the Lavelle Edwards roots of it at BYU, um, the different iterations it took, and sort of why the climate was ripe for Iowa Wesleyan to be this test tube for them to create this offense and then evolve it at Valdosta State and and all that. And so I, I just thought this book was – it was a really good read. It gives you some of the kind of X's and O's of like what the air rate is, but it, it's not it's not heavy-handed at that. It's not – like it's it's very consumable, um, and it's a it's – it, it runs pretty clean through just sort of a chronological order of how this, this all came about. And so um, I, I, I just, I loved it. I thought it was great. It was a quick read and, and I'll give you just one, just to, just to, as a little nugget, even though that's not, again, that's not really what this book is about. I thought this was a funny segment, which talked about um, how uh, Mike Leach and, and his multi-purpose role, uh, during his time at Iowa Wesleyan. This is talking about how how Mummy gave him a lot of jobs. Um, though his main job continued to be coaching the offensive line where he was making his own inventions, innovations, sorry, including larger splits and all the highly specialized mechanics that went with them. He also excelled at the many jobs Hal had given him, which he per- pursued with an almost reckless single-mindedness. As the team's sports information director, he pestered papers from the Burlington Hawkeye and the Des Moines Register <laughs> to USA Today for co- coverage of Iowa Wesleyan football, and in fact succeeded in getting the college a few mentions. This attracted the attention of Iowa Wesleyan's actual public information officer, whose job it was to deal with the press. 
She was furious and asked President Prince to intervene. When challenged, Leach told her he believed that her office, quote, couldn't get Iowa Wesleyan into USA Today unless there were a mass murder. As a punishment for his sins of overreaching and for his impolitic language, Leach was banished from campus for three days by President Prince. So it was a very, like, renegade program at this NAIA school with Leach and Mummy and Dana Holgerson as one of their wide receivers. And, like, it's just kind of cool how this all came together uh, and how it evolved. I have read it. I will also recommend it. I'll also recommend another book written by S.C. Gwynn, who wrote the book, who's more of a history writer than he is like a football sports history writer. This was kind of a uh, he wrote Rebel Yell. It's about uh, Stonewall Jackson. That's also a very good read, too. There you go. When we've got the um, the balance of the X's and O's, is it being des- it's being described as though the audience is a layman, not a football coach? Yes. No, absolutely. It is, it is not. This is not a book for football coaches. This is yeah. a book for for football fans. So if you've been watching a lot of uh, air raid offense, the explanations of it might not might not be opening your eyes to anything you don't already understand. No, no, but I no, but I think it will. It does give you a much deeper insight into what's what's going on, like the philosophies um, that inspired it. Yeah, and just sort of the intricacies of of what makes it good, and um, and how and and why this is a uh, a system that can be so simple and still so successful. And I, I just think the the foundations of it um, are, and just and and it does get into some of the just the schematics of it and and philosophies that those that, that you're working through. But I think all of that is like. I learned so I learned stuff for sure on the football side of it. The Perfect Pass, American Genius and the Reinvention of Football by SC Gwynn, Barton's uh, recommendation and bonus recommendation was that Tom uh, Rebel Yell by yep. SC Gwynn. Mhm. Excellent. Uh, good stuff. All right, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Deserve. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.